right if I can get you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 50. I'm sorry, 51, I believe. I'm sorry, no, Isaiah chapter 50, I was right the second time. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 50, they're close together, it's not a big thing. Okay, I have it written down wrong. I, I put the outline together out of chapter 50, and I have it written chapter 51. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 50 verse 7 is where we're going to begin here uh, this morning. And uh, after I read, uh, I'll probably say a few things uh, before I even get into this necessarily, this passage. But in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 50, it says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore. Have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire and pass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Oh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ in this chapter refers to you. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, the example that it gives to us. Lord, I just pray that as we begin a program, Lord, that we realize it's not about the program, but it's about you. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, as we stay upon you, as we stand in that gap, and stay strong and do what you would have us to do, I just pray, Lord, that, Lord, you'd bless the efforts of your people. Lord, we might see many souls saved, that, Lord, we might Uh, see our missions increase, that, Lord, we might uh, see you put forth in all places that we travel, that, Lord, we might, uh, again, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. Lord, I just ask now that, Lord, your love, Lord, your spirit, and, uh, Lord, your word would convince us of the need. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Before we get into to the message here this morning, I'm going to go back to something I said in Sunday school, so I'm going to have to uh, explain a couple of things if you, you were not in Sunday school this morning. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, there was a, uh, a 
miracle that the Lord Jesus did, and, and he did to a, a man that was brought uh, before Jesus Christ as a trap, if you will, to see if he would uh, heal on the Sabbath day. And I made the statement in, in Sunday school, and, and I believe the statement is true, um, that this man uh, who was healed by Jesus Christ could not have cared less about the motives of the people that brought him to Jesus as long as he got there. Okay? Uh, he, he, he didn't care what their motives were. Okay? He came before Jesus and Jesus healed him. And that was what he was interested in. Listen, folks, there are people all around the world that will be overjoyed to have Jesus Christ in their life. And I dare say that if I were to ask any one of you here this morning, does it really make a difference in your life what the motives were behind the individual that introduced you to Jesus Christ? Does that really matter? Or is what really matters that you came to know him as your Savior? If we're honest with ourselves, what we really are concerned with is the fact that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Now, do not get me wrong. I believe that we should serve Jesus Christ out of a heart of love for him. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we should serve him and do his will uh, because he loved us and we love him. That should be our motivation. But I said this in Sunday school. Listen, if you want to make a competition about who can invite the most people to church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm okay with that. You can do it. I don't care how they get here. Don't bring them in at gunpoint. Okay? But I, I, I really, I, I do care what the motivation is because as a pastor, I would like to see the people of the church doing the job that God has given us to do out of a heart of love and compassion. That's what I'd like to see. But if you have to make a competition out of it, I'm okay with that. Go ahead. Uh, fill the pews with as many visitors as you can get, because when they get here, we're going to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, when they walk out of here, if they've trusted Jesus Christ the personal, as their personal Savior, they're not going to care what your motives were. They're not. Now, you won't receive the blessing if your motives are anything but pure. But by all means, invite folks to church. Invite them. That's, our, that's the charge that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his church. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. By the way, don't hesitate when you're knocking on doors if somebody says, well, I don't understand why I should come to introduce them to Jesus Christ right there. By all means. But as we look at this 
passage in Isaiah. And, and we see, uh, again, this is a, a messianic uh, chapter in, in Isaiah, if you want to call it that. They, uh, most scholars will tell you that this chapter is, is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that happened to him. Okay, um, but as we look at these things and, and we see that Jesus, uh, if this is his prayer here or, or statements from him, uh, we want you to see in verse 7 and verse 9 that God helps those who are faithful. God helps those who are faithful. We see in verse 7 that, that as he's speaking here, he says, For the Lord God will help me. You look down in verse 9 and he says, Behold, the Lord God will help me. Listen, if, if you're concerned about uh, someone getting upset with you or you're concerned that you're not going to have the right things to say or you're concerned that you're going to be too nervous to speak if you go out and you invite people to church, let me tell you, if you are faithful to do what God has called us to do, if you're faithful to that, you have this promise that the Lord God will help you. It's the same. Jesus Christ, if, if this is referring to him, he did those things that God had called him to do. He, he said, I do always those things that please my Father, as he was faithful to God, he was able to, to say these words, I know that the Lord God will help me. I know that's a fact. I know that God will help me uh, to do what he has given me to do. You know, we as Christians, we as those who are wanting to serve and we're wanting to see folks saved and we're wanting to please God with our life. We need to grab a hold of that promise, folks. We need to get a hold of that promise and we need to not ever let that promise go that the Lord God will help me. Make it personal. As Jesus was looking at this, he says, for the Lord God will help me. He's not saying, listen, the Lord God will help you. That's true. But he says, uh, you know, he's not talking about the group and he's saying, oh, God will bless you as a group. He's saying you need to make this a personal thing in your life. If you're going to see God's blessings and you're going to see God work and you're going to know that he's there beside you, you have to have trust in the promise that the Lord God will help Make it a personal thing. So the Lord God will help me. But there's shame for those that will turn away. The Lord will help those uh, who call upon him. The Lord, is, as we're faithful to him, he's going to help us. But it says, uh, the Lord will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore, if I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He says, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed 
when I stand, when my face is like a flint, and the Bible tells us that he set, set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did, but he, he, he says, listen, as I do those things that God wants me to do, as I follow his instructions in my life, as I, uh, as I proceed to tell others about him as I've been commanded to do, the Lord will help me. And he says, I will not be ashamed. Well, I want you to understand, if you're, if you're not going to be ashamed when you follow God's words and you do what God's given you to do, then what happens when we don't? That's when the shame comes. That's when the shame comes. How many of you, I don't want to see a show of hands here, but how many of you, I'll pick on the husbands tonight, how many of you, your wife has said, listen, could you do this before I get home? We've all been there, right? Can you do this before I get home? And our answer is yes, dear. Be glad to do that. But then we get caught up in what we're doing. And I know there's probably not any other wives here besides my wife that's ever had this happen. Uh, but the wife comes home, and the first question is, hey, did you get that done? What's your first thought? Oh, man, I'm in for it now. No, I didn't do that. And there's a shame that comes along with that. Folks, that shame is nothing compared to the shame that we're going to feel when we stand before the throne of God one day and hear him say, what did you do with what I gave you? And we have to stand there and answer, nothing. That's shame. And here, the Lord says, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed. Because as God is my helper, as I follow him, as I do what he wants me to do, there is going to be no shame in that. But he goes beyond that in verse 8. He says this, He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me. What a wonderful promise to know not only will God help me, but he's right there beside me. He's near to me. You know, so many times I think we get the idea that, that, that God is, is, is somewhere way out there. And, and, and many times I think in many religions we try to attain to get close to him. God just says simply this, you do what I've given you to do and I'm right there. You follow after me and you do what's right and you keep your heart right and, and, and you, you, you focus on what I've given you to do and I will be right there next to you. 
He says, I will contend with you. In other words, you are in a battle. As a Christian, you are in a battle constantly. You battle temptation and you battle the devil and you battle the world and you battle lust and you battle all of those things. And if we look and we, 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 we're trying to look so far away, but God says, listen, if you're faithful, if you focus on me and you do what I've given you to do, then I'm right there next to you to contend with you, to help you in the battle, to, to be your backup. I remember... And I don't ever suggest doing this, by the way. I don't advocate these things. I remember back when I was in college, and there were a couple of situations uh, that I found myself in. Uh, one of them was due to me, and one of them was due to just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I can remember two situations when I was in college where we were surrounded by people that wanted to do us harm. And there was me and one or two others, depending on the situation. But you know what? Each one of us knew that we could count on the other one. We knew we had our back. And so we weren't real, real scared. You know, one time, might have been a little scared. But I remember the feeling of knowing how good it was to know that somebody was there to help. And the Lord is telling us here, listen, as you go through life and as you face the challenges and as you deal with the battles that come your way, I am right there next to you, but not just to be there to watch. I'm there to help you fight the battle. He said, I'm there to contend with you. I, I, I'm going to stand together with God. In verse 8, he says, will contend with me. Let us stand together. Let us stand together. Listen, it's a wonderful thing to have a church family that is going to stand together to do the work of God. It, it's a wonderful thing. But you know what's even greater than that? is that we can look at this and say, listen, it's not just a matter of us being together, but God is together with us in the battle. God is there to work with us. And, and here, God will help me. He, he'll contend with me. He'll stand together with me. He says, who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. There's a challenge there, isn't there? Listen, I've got God on my side. So if you're my adversary, bring it on. Because you can't defeat God. You might be able to take me, but you can't touch my God. So if you're going to be the adversary, you can come on. There's a challenge here. He says, who is my adversary, let him come near me because God is going to contend with me. He's going to stand together with me. Verse 9, he, he reiterates, God 
Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. He says, listen, the enemy doesn't stand a chance when God is standing next to me and fighting for me. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. He says at the end of the verse there, or the, the chapter in verse 11, he says, Behold, all ye that kindle a fire that can pass yourselves about with sparse, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. In other words, doing things in your own uh, strength and in your own flesh. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. He, he says, listen, you're not going to win. If, if you fight against God, you are going to lose. You're going to lose. Because we can stand together. this in, in verse 10 9 and 10 it says who is he that shall condemn me in verse 9 but then in verse 10 he says this who is among you that feareth the Lord it's a big question isn't it who is there among you who among us reverences God to the point where we're willing to face any situation knowing he's on our side? That we're going to do right no matter who objects, no matter where he sends, no matter how complicated the situation may be, that we are going to stand who who is it, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? Who is that? Ask yourself this question. Does that describe me? Now, I'm not talking about you ask the question, hey, is that what our pastor is like? I'm saying look down deep in our own hearts, mine as well as yours, and say, does that description fit what people see in my life? Is that the description that others would have for me? Is that the description that I know is right uh, for me? But he says, listen, in verse 10, it says, let him trust, at the end, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. The question is, who feareth God? If you're here this morning and you can say, listen, I, 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 I believe God, I know who God is, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I have a reverence for God and a reverence for what he has given me to do, and I'm focused on doing what he wants me to do, then we're given instructions here at the end of verse 10 that go along with standing in the gap because we're never going to stand for others. We're never going to stand uh, for God's word. We're never going to do those things until we fear God more than we fear man. Until we fear God more than we desire the things of this world. And he says here, if you fear God, at the end of the verse, 
He said, let him trust in the name of the Lord. He says, faith, have faith. Believe that God means what he says. He says, I'll be there with you. I will give you the victory. I will defeat the enemy. I'll take care of that. But you need to trust. Know when you go to knock on that door and the butterflies are turning in your stomach and you're concerned about what may be said or, or, or what the response may be. The answer is still the same. Have faith. Trust in Him. But it goes beyond that, my friends. It says we need to trust, but we also need to stay. We need to stay. That word stay there simply means that I'm going to get my position and I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to stay upon his God. It says stay upon God. My trust is in God, and I'm going to stand upon him and upon his word, and I'm going to trust that he's going to do what he desires to do. It's not a hard formula, folks, to understand here. But it seems when you look around at Christendom today, that it's a hard concept to put into practice. And yet, we have an example. We do. It's given to us in this very chapter. If you look back a few verses with me, Again, we believe this is describing the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Jesus said, listen, I can talk. I can teach. When he was 12 years old, he was teaching the lawyers in the temple. He was, he was able to, and the doctors in, in the temple, he was able to do those things. And, and he's putting it here and he says, listen, it's the Lord God that has given me the tongue of the learned. Listen, when you're talking to others about the Lord Jesus Christ, God will lead you if you're depending upon him if you're giving things over to him and you're, you're speaking for him and you're, you're doing so in faith, the Lord says, listen, God will give you. God will give it to you. God will give you the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. There are a lot of weary folks today, folks. And they need to hear a fit word from God's people. He goes on. It says, He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. So he's going to not only give us the things to say, he's going to, to give us uh, uh, the, the knowledge of these things. He's going to give us understanding of these things. 
But he says in verse 5, The Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my uh, turned away back. Jesus said, I did what he gave me to do. I did. Now, know this. Sometimes the victory comes, but doesn't look like victory. Look at the next verse. It says, I gave my back to the smiting, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Description, if you will, of what took place before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't look like victory. In fact, when the disciples fled that night and and they'd seen all of these things happen and and then uh, they saw him crucified on the cross of Calvary, it didn't look like victory. And yet that's the very victory that overcame the sinner's guilt. Why? Because our example was willing to deal with the shame, was willing to deal with the abuse, because he knew that he was serving God and that God would be you're here today and and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, God will stand next to you for eternity if you put your faith and trust in Him. And you need to do that here today. I'm looking around and I'm not seeing any unfamiliar faces here this morning, folks. And we have a challenge placed before us. Challenge not just for the next six weeks, but a challenge that God gave 2,000 years ago through Jesus Christ when he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Between now and, and, and Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have a missions conference. Should be an exciting time of hearing the call that God has placed on, on people's lives to serve him in foreign lands and to Uh, to bring the gospel to people that need to hear it. We should be excited about those things. There's there's time after Resurrection Sunday where people still need to hear about Jesus Christ. There's a lot to do, folks. I, I was reading a book the other day, and it was talking, it had... A bunch of quotes in it. And one of them, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but one of them basically said this. There's over 7 billion people in the world. At the best estimate, less than 10% of them know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
You know what that means? That means there's at least 6.3 billion people in this world that need to be reached with the gospel. 6.3 billion. It doesn't end in six weeks, though. It ends when the Lord calls us home. As we serve Him, and as He stands beside us.